Virtuous Men, a podcast devoted to sharing the... Welcome to Loose and Unscripted, an inside look at Season 4 of the Virtuous Men podcast. I'm Jamie. I'm Scott. And we are the creators of Virtuous Men. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Loose and Unscripted. This is going to be part one of two episodes of Loose and Unscripted, as you know, this was our most ambitious season yet, so we thought, why do one when you can do two Loose and Unscripted, right? That's right, that's right. Yeah, this is part one. We're going to be going through uh, the season, episode by episode. And then part two is going to be with uh, some special guests. That's right. They are they are as special as we're making them out to be right now. We assure so you. So special. So, mm-hmm. so special. So, well, yeah, let's let's get into this. Yeah, season four. I mean, we're done. I mean, it was it was probably the most, as you say, ambitious and the most time consuming and uh, the yeah. hardest we've probably worked on a season in this whole journey so far in, I'm the, still... in the two years we've been podcasting. Yeah. Well, and I'm still trying to calculate or when we got the idea to do Lewis and Clark, because I'm trying to, th- I want to say that it was probably seven or eight months ago, which seems like a very long time, but that's, that seems right to me that it was that long. It was definitely before it. it was before you took off on your grand adventure. Yeah. So probably within the six to seven month range, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I had always wanted to do Lewis and Clark in some form. And um, we just thought, when I approached you with the idea of doing an entire season devoted just to them and telling you that we, we easily have enough information based on the journey and the journals and everything. I mean, there is so much material there that we could easily get a whole season just out of the expedition. For sure. Yeah. I remember that we were, we were chatting at your place and we had a whiteboard out and we were brainstorming and, and you said, what about Lewis and Clark for a whole season? We'd never done a full length feature length season of one subject before. So this was pretty new for us. And uh, I think it turned out well. Yeah. I'm super proud of how it turned out. I mean, I I think one of the most interesting debates that we had was how many episodes is it going to (laughs) be? Because when it comes to Lewis and Clark, I mean, there is so much information. I mean, because they, some of them recorded daily entries for almost three years so i mean based on that alone we could have easily made this way longer but at some point something's got to give you know you gotta at the same time you're telling a story you got to keep it entertaining so we figured based on the information that we had it was probably going to be about five or four episodes and we ended up doing five yeah i think five was a good number i've certainly listened to other podcasts on lewis and clark and you know they're in the 10 to 12 episode range and they have a lot more information but i I know this is a little biased, but I think our our telling of the story definitely is unique in the in the way we told it in a theatrical form. And also, as we're virtuous man, we highlighted the virtues kind of exemplified throughout each episode, each part of the journey. So, yeah, I'm pretty proud of it. I know I always say I think it turned out well. This time, I I really do mean it. I think it turned out really great. Oh, yeah. And it really felt like a collaboration between the two of us. I mean, I hesitate to call it a true collaboration because you had your episodes, I had my episodes, but it was unique because we were trying to tie them together in a way that would make sense. So I think that's where the collaborative nature came in is 
So how do we tie this episode into your episode and make it smooth so that it actually transitions in a way that it feels like one complete whole? Yeah, it was definitely quite the process, I gotta say. All right, well, let's, I think we'll get into it. Let's start with episode one, of course. That was your episode. Uh, Episode one, Jefferson's Call. This was kind of from the time of the Louisiana Purchase through until the very start of the expedition. Yeah, that's right. I know that was another thing that was interesting about this season is what do we call the episodes? And you definitely, I think this episode title was your idea, and I thought it was perfect because Jefferson was truly the author of the journey. I mean, he was the driving force of the entire thing. And you got to give it, you got to give credit where it's due. I know, I know Jefferson is an incredibly controversial figure even today, but he's one of those people where you can't help but admire the good things about him and (laughs) detest the bad things. But I mean, the good stuff was really, really good. And in terms of the Lewis and Clark expedition, I mean, he was the thing that made it happen. Yeah. I think Larry Morris, the the other guy we interviewed for the season, he kind of said it best in episode one where he talks about Jefferson right at the start. You know, he recognizes his faults and his failures and some of the things that he did that obviously in our modern 21st century ideals are not the greatest, you know, slavery being the most prominent, but he also respects him as a leader. And I think a theme of this whole project is giving, giving the man the the respect that he is due, due to the time period he was in recognizing the faults, but also realizing that this guy lived in, in the 1700s, <laughs> you know, and I think that's, you have to do that when when researching and kind of looking into people of history. You can't just look at them with our ideals of the 21st century and and judge them in that light. Oh yeah, that's totally foolish. I mean, I think you would you would think that even people back then would would recognize that that they're not going to judge the ancient Egyptians by their standards. You know, I mean, it's just <laughs> or something like that. You know, so it's just so interesting this man of contradictions that was Thomas Jefferson. And the fact that he was pushing for the end of slavery, and yet nobody in American history profited more from slavery than he did. So it's just, he was such a contradictory figure that it's just hard to wrap your head around someone like that. You know, and and so many historical figures are like that, like the particularly great ones, they tend to be contradictory and none more so than Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, I was going to ask you about your research on this one. I mean, most of it was probably... Jefferson, because Jefferson was the driving force of the expedition towards exploring the West, obviously the Louisiana Purchase, and then what became of the expedition? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't all Jefferson. I mean, because I I had kind of planned for this episode to end right as they are getting ready to leave. So it was it was sort of half Jefferson and then half Lewis as he's starting to get the expedition ready to go. Like if you listen to the episode, it's a lot of it is just the relationship between him and Lewis, you know, because he knew Lewis from from childhood and he was essentially a father figure to him in many ways. So there's that relationship, which is a really it's a real it's really moving in a lot of ways, just kind of seeing how he takes Lewis under his wing and he sees his potential and he sees that he's the perfect man for the job. But it, but yeah, no, it, it was an interesting episode in the sense that it had a very clear halfway point. So there's the first half where Jefferson is kind of developing his idea for the expedition and he tries to get it launched a number of times and it fails. But then here comes Meriwether Lewis and he sees this young man who's incredibly bright. He's 
extremely intelligent, despite the fact that he's also very troubled. He loves the outdoors and he's a military man and he just sees the potential in him and he realizes this is someone who can do the job. And Lewis, of course, jumps at the opportunity because he recognized that Jefferson had that quality of a father. And, you know, his father had passed away when he was just a kid. So um, he really recognized that relationship for what it was, I think. And they both made the most of it and more credit to them for that. So what what was your favorite part of episode one? Yeah, that was a tough one because I, I, I think of all the episodes we did, this one probably had the least amount of like really big standout moments because it's kind of like the beginning of everything. So I think um, if I had to pick, it would just be when Lewis and when, this is after Clark has joined and they're trying to get the men together. I just thought that was that was a really interesting part to research is um looking into the individual men. Because you never hear about them. You, it's always just Lewis and Clark, and then that's it. You never hear anything about the other men. And Sacagawea, of course, with an exception there. But um, you never hear about the other men of the expedition. So researching them and learning their stories and then putting that in the episode was really fascinating. And especially, too, you really see how each man was perfectly selected for the job based on their skills. And Lewis and Clark were so good at that. They were so good at recognizing the strengths that each of the men had. So one of them was the best fisherman. One of them was the best shot. One of them was the best interpreter for Indian languages. So, I mean, they just had a real knack for selecting the right men for the right jobs. Yeah. It, it kind of reminded me a lot of Shackleton. You know, that was one of my episodes in yeah, our first absolutely. season and how he picked men for this expedition. They went on to uh, the Antarctic. It was very much like that. And he just had a, like a sixth sense when he met someone, if they were expedition material or not, you know, he would ask silly questions like, can you sing, <laughs> you know, and it seems completely irrelevant, but, you know, he knew those things, those qualities were important. And I think of Cruzat and his fiddle, how many times do you read through the, the journals of, oh yeah, Cruzat was playing his fiddle and it, the natives really enjoyed it. And the man really enjoyed it. And it, it was like a morale booster after a tough day, sitting down by the fire, Cruzette pulls his fiddle out. Little things like that, you think they're insignificant, but they're definitely not. So what was your uh, what was your favorite quote of episode one? I thought that uh, the Patrick Gass quote at the end was really good because it really sums up what I thought was um, the greatest virtue this displayed in the first part of the expedition is... Um, their willingness to embrace the unknown. Like to me, that is the biggest thing because nothing like this had been done in American history. And these men were well aware of it. They knew full well, we are going, we are going off the map and you can't help but feel that sense of dread that they must've felt. But then also it taps into that side of hum of human beings that we have to have some adventure. We have to have some unknowns. We have to take risks. We have to explore. And there is so much of that spirit in the journals that you see in the men. I thought Patrick Gass summed it up really well. We expect to pass through a country possessed by numerous powerful and warlike nations of savages, of gigantic stature, fierce, treacherous, and cruel, and particularly hostile to white men. But the determined and resolute character of the men dispelled every emotion of fear. I was trying to scratch in my head, trying to think of the virtue that that would exemplify. Maybe undauntedness. Is that a word? 
No. <laughs> we'll go with it, though. <laughs> I think just the virtue of risk. I think it all comes down to that, you know, because these men were taking risks that most of us could never even imagine taking in our lives. And, and they seem to almost jump into it with enthusiasm. That's why the Lewis and Clark expedition is such an interesting topic and so gripping even, you know, so many years later. Okay, so episode two, Up the Mighty Missouri. What a name. Uh, so this one goes from their departure from St. Louis, near St. Louis, up the Missouri, and ends when they reach the Mandan village and, well, they kind of winter in the Mandan village and then they're they're just about to take off in the spring when episode two comes to a close. Yep, that's right. So what what uh, what was the research like on this one? Uh, was it I guess it was a lot a lot more challenging than in the first maybe because it involved a lot more of the journals, right? Well, I mean it was the very beginning of the voyage, so I mean every every element is there you know they you have the exploration element you have the indian encounter element you have the harsh weather element you have all of these elements right there that persisted from beginning to end and it all kind of starts right as they set off on the missouri and i think um especially too one thing that struck me was the difficulty of going up the missouri the fact that they were against the current i mean i just i can't imagine how difficult that job must have been you know and i i didn't really get a chance to emphasize it as much in the episode with sound effects and everything like that but just imagining the men having to pull the keel boat from the shore with ropes i mean i just cannot imagine how brutal the work must have been just getting the boat up the river i mean i just can't i can't imagine it yeah, it blows my mind that they actually made it thousands of miles against the current with a massive boat. And, and it was a very it... clumsy boat, too. I mean, if you, <laughs> yeah, there was actually, and I watched a documentary about, um, it was like a old, really old History Channel documentary about the technology of Lewis and Clark. And they went into a whole five minute scene of talking just about the boat. And it went through the actual design and what it looked like and how it functioned. And, it was just a really clumsy, bulky thing that got the job done. But I mean, it was just a very unwieldy piece of a piece of technology for that time. Right. Not not meant to do what they did with it, for sure. So episode two, what was your favorite part? What was your favorite part of the uh, the end product? Favorite part of this one was probably the theatrical intro, because that was the most that was the most uh, sound effects heavy that I got. And it just worked really well exactly how i wanted it to work because very often i i think you and i are kind of different in the way that we approach the episodes where i tend to kind of go in blind and i don't really know what scenes are going to have lots of sound effects beforehand so um or just moments where it's just sound and no music or anything like that like i don't i don't go in with a game plan knowing when those moments are i kind of just let the episode guide me the theatrical intro felt right because that's where they are stumbling through the brush and they're frustrated. They have no idea if they even want to keep going or if it's even worth it. And then they stumble across the landscape of unexplored wild America in all its yeah. beauty. And they just realize, yes, like this right here, what we're looking at, this is worth it. And I really truly believe that that's how they felt while they were exploring and just realizing once they see the landscape and they look at the land of their country 
in all of its beauty, they just realize this is worth whatever we have to do to claim it for the country. Yeah, I'm I'm just so jealous to to think about the fact that somebody stood on a bluff and looked over it and was able to see five thousand buffalo. Yeah. Just I to just... imagine that sight was just just jaw dropping. Like what that must have looked like. These guys have never seen never seen buffalo before. And you go out there and you see thousands upon thousands of them. And you just read. And that part of the journals in the research was especially interesting because practically every day they were discovering something new. I just imagine how exciting that must have been, where every day you see some animal that's never been recorded for science. And Lewis in particular was probably just like a kid in a candy store. You know, yeah. like every he probably couldn't write fast enough. He couldn't draw fast <laughs> enough. I mean, he was probably just firing on all cylinders every day of that portion of the journey where every day practically was something new i actually think of our our trip to together we took a trip to wind cave yeah wind cave national park in south dakota yeah yeah and then custer state park and the the buffalo yeah. that we saw there I mean, that was incredible to see that that's just, right yeah just to think of i mean that on a ex absolutely exponential scale must have just been out of this world it's also amazing, too, in researching it, how um, in that particular portion of the journey, the hunting was so good and the game was so numerous and abundant <laughs> that they could eat nine pounds of meat a day, every man on the expedition, which is 40 plus men. <laughs> yeah, they were they were eating 350 pounds a day. <laughs> yeah, well, I think <laughs> in um, Oh, yeah. And I think in. It might have been uh, Stephen Ambrose's book, Undaunted Courage, which was a major source of my research. I think he described it as the elk were as numerous as the birds. <laughs> like, I just think, wow, I, I just can't imagine that. What? Yeah, exactly. Like you said, like it gives you such a great glimpse as to what our country looked like before the Industrial Revolution and before Manifest Destiny really took hold. I mean, it's just. Yeah. It just really paints a picture of what the land looked like and makes you hunger to see it that way again, even though we never will. But yeah. still, you know, it's a beautiful picture of the past. So what about a favorite quote from this one? This one was also from the theatrical intro. It was this quote is actually unique because it isn't all one quote. I, I took it from two separate journal entries and combined it into one. The lands are extremely fertile exhibiting one of the most beautiful scenes I have ever beheld. This immense river waters one of the fairest portions of the globe, nor do I believe that there is in this universe a similar extent of country. As we passed on, it seemed as if those scenes of visionary enchantment would never have an end. Meriwether Lewis, 1804-1805 Yeah, that gives you a sense of, you can see it in the words that he's writing, that he's just in awe of what he's looking at. And you get a sense too, I don't know about Clark so much, because between the two of them, Clark was far and away the worst of the two in terms of writing. Yeah. Because um, Lewis was wonderfully descriptive, and you really get a sense that you're getting into his mind and feeling what he's feeling. And Clark, there isn't really as much of that. Saw but, um, a buffalo. Period. Yes, exactly. <laughs> shot, shot a bear. Bear was very heavy. 
Yeah, but with Lewis, you really get a sense that he's really taking it all in. And you, you get that sense that he maintained that childlike wonder for the entire journey. So then what, what did you learn when, um, when you're going through this, going through the research, writing the episode? What did you learn or what virtue would you say is uh, paramount for episode two? I think the one that really stands out for this portion of the journey is the, um, and we haven't talked about this yet, but the uh, the hospitality and the friendship between the Indian tribes and the Lewis and Clark expedition, especially the Mandans, because without that, they would have failed miserably. They would have they would have all died, especially given the winter that they endured. And that's one of the most interesting things about the expedition is the fact that they encountered 40 plus tribes, I think, or maybe more than that, I think. And they really only had trouble with the Sioux and I think the Skalut or Chinook. I can't remember which tribe. Yeah, on the, the, the Skalut were particularly yeah, on their troublesome. way back. Not, not, not really much of a threat to their lives, but more just pilfering and stealing things. Right. But then there's the Sioux who were genuine threats to their lives because they were yeah. they were such a powerful force and they were so feared and renowned that they were that even Jefferson knew about them. So they had a pretty, pretty lofty reputation. So, I mean, and it was, and yeah, it was another one of those cases where had they not let them pass, the journey would have failed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting that the Sioux who gave Lewis and Clark the most trouble, what became of them and, and the trouble that the U S government had with them, Obviously, the the most famous incident between U.S. government and and the Indians was uh, the Little Bighorn. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, which that would be a great episode to do at some point. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's interesting the 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 history is is kind of a rabbit hole, but the the history of the Indians and and what happened after Lewis and Clark. I think you know Larry Larry Morris, the guy we interviewed for the the season. He goes into it in one of his books, um, what happened to the West and what happened to the Indians. And I think there were obviously like the Sioux troublesome tribes who just didn't want anything to do with whites and and wanted to see them never set foot on their land or do have anything to do with them. But I think a, most of the Indian tribes were very hospitable and it's just sad what happened because it, it seemed like every time, you know, a treaty was signed the U.S. government would break it. They would change the wording. They would, um, you know, restrict the the boundaries of the reservations that they had already made. And you look at the Nez Perce, who you know we'll get into in episode three and four, but they really did help Lewis and Clark. And without them, Lewis and Clark would have really struggled. And especially if if the Nez Perce would have been hostile, the expedition may not have made it to the Pacific. So. And then to see what happened to the Nez Perce, you know, they were hunted down by the U.S. government and completely destroyed. So it's very sad what happened uh, to the natives, that, all the native tribes that Lewis and Clark encountered. Yeah, it's it's a very sad and shameful part of our history. But then I think I think that that's what makes the Lewis and Clark expedition so unique is that you see what it could have been like had those relations lasted, you know, because yeah. you you see that genuine friendship and companionship and, you know, and, and Lewis in particular, like there was one of the chiefs at the Mandan villages. Like he said, this is, I can't remember the exact quote, but he just really praised him highly and said he was just one of the most amazing men he ever knew. And they didn't even speak the same language, you know? <laughs> I mean, it just, it's a really beautiful picture of 
of cultures not clashing but collaborating and um embracing one another and it's just yeah. a really it's just a really beautiful thing to see that throughout the expedition and i feel like that's definitely a lesson we can learn from today i mean that's i think that's i think that that is one of the major lessons of the lewis and clark expedition is the fact that we as human beings can be separated by continents and oceans and cultures and languages but we are not that different from one another when you get down to it so episode three canoeing the mountains i always thought that was an interesting title because i just get this picture of them actually canoeing over the mountains like on the on the rock and everything so that's just i i actually have a book named canoeing the mountains that it's actually about leadership and and ministry and and sometimes it can seem like you're canoeing the mountains and they they liken it to lewis and clark's journey and the fact that they got to the the rockies and said "Uh oh <laughs> yeah this is this is not gonna work no well, i i was definitely jealous of you for this particular episode because there were so many amazing sequences yeah for sure i I think I hit the jackpot with three and four. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I thought I got uh, some of the, the greatest moments in the whole expedition. I know. I, I really got the impression from the research that we were sharing and the questions that you were going to ask um, the, our interviewees. But I got the sense that you were extremely fascinated by old Toby. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, you know, the guy, he, he wasn't flawless for sure. He got lost a few times when they were going through the bitter roots, but he... And his son really saved them. Like, how would they have even got through the bitter roots without the guy that they had? And um, and then the fact that this is skipping to episode four, but the fact that he just kind of took off without even saying, "Hey, I'm leaving now," <laughs> and st he stole their horses and took off and went back to his people it was kind of hilarious. Yeah, definitely, definitely an unfitting end for someone for yet another person who saved the Lewis and Clark expedition. Yeah, yeah, yet another Indian. Yeah, that's another thing too that I feel like um, people back then were masters of understatement. So when something really, <laughs> uh, when something really incredible happens, they tend to kind of just talk about it as if it's just another day at the office. You know, when Sacagawea reunites with her brother, I mean, that's like a coincidence that could only happen by providence. Yeah, L Lewis's Lewis's quote from that scene is is kind of. One of my favorite ones, I think, uh, where he's talking about the the meeting between her and the the other Shoshone woman who was kidnapped at the same time. He says the meeting between those people was really affecting, and I think yeah, I think Lewis was definitely more in touch with his emotions and actually being able to talk about and display those in the text of the journals. Clark really wasn't a he wasn't one to talk about his emotions for sure. Oh yeah, it's one of the great. Contra contrasts in their personalities and, and just the fact that Lewis had more formal education than Clark. So I think he was Lewis was already much better equipped to write out his personality and his thoughts on paper than Clark probably was. But right. still, between the two of them, you get pretty much a complete picture of everything. Yeah, for sure. I think it's it's kind of I kind of thought about it when I was going through this is it's kind of like the Gospels. You know, you get four accounts from four different people of the same story and you get different tidbits and information from each one, you know, each, each gospel focuses on a different theme of 
you know, Christ's time on earth. And I think the expedition does the same. It focuses on different aspects through the, the minds of, you know, Lewis, Clark, uh, Whitehouse, uh, Ordway, who am I forgetting here? Gas. Gass. Old Gassy, as we affectionately call him. <laughs> that was one of the greatest things. So very often um will or at least me you you don't you tend to not do it as much but i like to put jokes in the first drafts of every episode we do <laughs> and every time gas's name was mentioned i would add a fart sound <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful yeah and i, I want to mention for episode three of course my uh my wife stacy she was acting the part of chicago way as she meets camille and her brother she shouts uh bobby which which means brother or chief in Sushoni. And then he says Nami, which means sister. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, that was kind of a fun one to to record because she's, you know, she's like back in my in my office here and and I'm like, okay, stand by the door and then like walk towards the cat walk, walk towards the ref- the microphone and it's kind of a funny one to record. And she's like, how does that? And I'm like, well that's not <laughs> I was try that again and it was Yeah, Stacy's the unsung hero of season four. Yeah, the unsung hero of all these theatrical moments in the episodes. Well, I thought I personally thought your best sequence in episode three was when um, the canoes overturned and they almost lost everything. I thought you really nailed that sequence. Yeah, and Chicago Way saves the day. She's somehow holding holding a baby and is able to stay in the boat or, or hang on to the boat and grab all these items that are floating down the river. I mean. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You and you just generally did a good job of highlighting her contributions because I feel like there was more of that in your episodes than mine. Because with mine, you kind of just are introduced to her and then it moves mm-hmm. on to what you do. So you yeah. of the sequences that you had, you definitely had the chance to highlight her contribution and you did a good job there. Yeah, I think there's a reason why she's the most the woman, historical woman with the most monuments in this country of ours. Yeah, or she ha- she has more statues erected in her memory than any woman in American history for a very good reason. Yeah, I mean, she was so young. It, it's incredible. She was, you know, 16 or 17 when she joined the Corps. And I, I just, I can't imagine I have two small kids and one of which is one year old right now. And I can't imagine bringing a baby from birth, you know, on the river, across the Bitterroots, on the Columbia, all the way to the coast, going through the winter at Fort Clouds up. I mean, I, I just can't imagine what that must have been like. And you really get a sense, too, like just in the way that Lewis and Clark describe her, that she was a very stoic person. She didn't really show mm-hmm. a lot of emotion. She just had a quiet dignity about her, except for when she encounters her brother. And I yeah. imagine I sort of imagine, too, like in, in that particular moment that Lewis and Clark must have just been totally shocked <laughs> by this normally really stoic, quiet, mild tempered woman just exploding in this moment of emotion. It must have just been really startling to them to see that from, from <laughs> yeah. her, I would think. It was also a huge deal, not just for Chicago Wea, but but for the Corps, because they needed the Shoshone so badly. They needed their help to get over the mountains. They needed horses. And so, uh, as we say in the episode, they, they tried the Lemhi River and the, the Salmon River to navigate that, but it was impassable. So they needed horses. They needed to go over the mountains. So without the Shoshone, they would have really really struggled and 
I think right after that scene, you get, of course, one of the greatest quotes from Lewis for the whole journey where he approaches his 31st birthday and he describes how he's feeling. I feel like that was a amazing quote. Yeah. That, speaking of quotes, yeah, I was going to say my favorite quote that it's so good because you think of this guy who's went from St. Louis that he's in, you know, Western Montana on the border of Idaho. That's a long distance to go. He's got all of these men led them through all the struggles everything he's accomplished and he's sitting saying I'm 30 and I really haven't accomplished much in my life. And I really need to try to accomplish more for the succeeding generation. And he was, he was really concerned about that. And I thought that was kind of interesting for a guy who wasn't married, didn't have kids that he was consumed by this, this need to pass on something of worth to the next generation. I think that's really admirable. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and and li- listening to that to that scene again and hearing that quote again, it really made me think of the Ken Burns documentary about the Lewis and Clark expedition. And and there and one of the historians that Ken Burns interviewed describing that he before going into the detail of what Lewis is talking about, he lists off all the things that Lewis had accomplished before <laughs> the age of 31. And it's more than dozens of men could ever hope to achieve in their lifetime. And he remarks that Lewis still was in that mindset of, I need, I, I don't feel like I have really done enough with my life. And you just think none of us hardly have done anything like that. And yet he still is feeling that sense of, wow, I haven't done hardly anything. It's just, it's a remarkable statement. It is. And it makes you think, wow, what, what have I done? If this guy's feeling that way, what have I done? I think another one of my, my favorite quotes and we'll play this one. Um, it's where it's at the beginning of episode three, where Lewis is departing the Mandan village, and he, you know, a, a nod to your theatrical intro. He's seeing this just incredibly beautiful, wide open country, and now they're going into the unknown. We were now about to penetrate a country at least two thousand miles in width, on which the foot of civilized man had never trodden. The good or evil it had in store for us was for experiment yet to determine. And these little vessels contained every article by which we were to expect to subsist or defend ourselves. Meriwether Lewis, April 7th, 1805. You really get a yeah. sense from that, that he he understood that, well, here we go. We're, we're stepping into the unknown. No one has ever really explored this area other than the natives that we're going to encounter. And another really interesting fact that I didn't realize until I was reading uh, Alan Woodger's book, they didn't encounter a single Indian for four months from the time they left the Mandan until they got to the Shoshone. Oh, wow. Really? And that is incredible. I, I never came across that fact. Wow. that That's pretty amazing. Wow. And that's that's another one of the it's in the chapter she or in the section she writes about the the happy coincidences of the core the fact that they you know they didn't have any conflicts they didn't even see an Indian for four months when they had this it's in the episode in episode three they come across this Shoshone on horseback and that was the first Indian they'd seen since they left the Mandans. Wow, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> so, wait, wait, I mean, yeah, you, you think about the country they're in though. You know, Lewis's quote. They were going through country that was 
dozens of native tribes along the river, but they never saw a single one. And that kind of shows how, how wide open a space it was they were going through. Yeah. Well, it just, it gives you a sense of the vastness of the American landscape. Like for all of our listeners who have driven across the country, you know that there are portions where you can't imagine anybody living there, you know? (laughs) So almost half a year, they didn't even see any. That's an amazing fact. I didn't know that. I think that's actually something really cool about this, this country. The fact that you can go to places still in 2023 and you can you can be there for you know weeks and and you probably won't run into anyone if unless you want to <laughs> maybe some sasquatch if they're real but you know <laughs> well no that's episode 4 when they get to perhaps. the northwest yeah right perhaps <laughs> perhaps no journal entries about that but you know well they say that lewis didn't write for a huge chunk of it maybe he was so shocked by a sasquatch encounter that it rendered him incapable of writing for a year at a time <laughs> he was speechless literally i would actually love to to read a lewis and clark quote where he describes a sasquatch if it was clark it would be really really bland you know something like encounter giant ape man today eight (laughs) foot tall so what virtue in particular stands out to you in this portion of the journey i think it was the the fact that no matter what obstacles they faced and in episode three, they truly do face all manner of obstacles on the river, you know, communication barriers between themselves and, and the natives. The fact that when they, you know, they reach the Shoshone and they can't find them, they're seeing signs, but they can't find them. And then finally they do. And uh, just the the level of just not giving up. I think it's really a mark of a mark of greatness for great explorers. You know, some weren't necessarily the most skilled, but their place in history isn't lost because what sets them apart is the fact that they just didn't give up. Again, I, I go back to Shackleton and I thought of Shackleton so much when going when I was researching and going through this season. Just Shackleton made many mistakes. You know, in his famous expedition, he made so many mistakes, but he didn't give up and he always had, you know, the the wherewithal to say, okay, things are really bad, but we're not going to give up. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to try this. We're going to use what resources we still have to to get to where we need to go. And and Lewis and Clark really did that too. It's a, it's a lesson for our own lives to never give up no matter what situation we're going through. And they certainly did that. Uh, and through great leadership of Lewis and Clark and and through you know, noble acts of the man around them, uh, the man under their leadership, they did it. I think too, it also kind of just makes me think of researching it. I would think to myself, what would this have been like if Clark had not been there? Hmm. Like if it was just Lewis by himself, you know, I I just think, and one, their strengths complement each other so well. And it just makes you wonder what if Clark had not been there? Because like in the, in episode one, like it, it was a very real possibility that he may not have, been able to join the expedition or he may not have wanted to yeah i think it's something we want to get into in part two of this loose and unscripted the relationship between lewis and clark and i didn't bring it up when we're talking about episode one but just a letter between them when lewis sends clark the letter and asks him if he would accompany him accompany him on the expedition the the care that he has for clark and the fond memories he has of their relationship really comes through in that letter and then Clark's response is just just so cool to see 
what a brotherhood they had and how much they cared deeply about each other. Uh, you know, he says, I, I will surely accompany you on this endeavor and, and we'll, we'll go through all the struggles and, you know, surely it's, we're going to meet obstacles along the way, but there's no one I'd rather go with this, this journey on. And yeah, their friendship is really something that is highlighted throughout. And I thought it was cool. The fact that we had uh, Ethan and Jared reading those, reading those quotes and, and we'll get into that more in, in part two teaser. So we move on to episode four, Ocean in View. And I was I was especially excited to hear this one because I just thought there were so many great his heroic moments in this part of the journey. And I thought, what is Jamie going to do with it? Yeah, well, I hope you weren't disappointed. No, I was. I think... I love you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think my, my favorite part of this one is the obvious one, Ocean in View. You know, what else... The, the sheer joy and relief it must have been when they finally saw the ocean. I do wonder, you know, what Lewis would have said in that moment and what that journal entry would have been like. It, it would have been more descriptive for sure. It is a shame that we didn't get to hear Lewis's thoughts on seeing the ocean. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's so many moments in the in the uh, the expedition where you just wonder what Lewis was thinking, especially for such a heroic moment, because that was the crux of the journey. That was the goal was to get to the ocean. And you wonder or maybe he was so overwhelmed that he just couldn't write anything. You know, it just kind of makes you <laughs> wonder that, too. Great joy in camp. We are in view of the ocean, this great Pacific Ocean, which we have been so long anxious to see. William Clark, November 7th, 1805. It was also yeah. really great on, on my travels. Um, Seaside, Oregon has a monument to Lewis and Clark, and it's estimated that that spot is where they first saw the ocean. And it's just this monument in the city of Seaside, Oregon, along the beach. And it's it's sort of estimated that that's where they first they first saw the ocean. And it was just amazing seeing that monument face to face and realizing this is where they stood over 200 years ago. First, looking at the Pacific Ocean that they had spent a year and a half to get to. It's always amazing to go to the actual places where these things happen. There's just something about that that never loses its awe for me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I very recently, a couple of weeks ago, took a trip down with my family and we visited Seaside and visited the the spot you're talking about. And then we took a trip up to Fort Clatsop. And it was really cool, actually, because I, I kind of thought, well, I'm the only one who's really going to care about this this place when we got to Clatsop. You know, it's it's raining. Um, we've got two small kids. And no, is this just going to be like a quick, OK, we saw it. Let's get going. But uh, my daughter was just so into it. It was really cool to see. Hmm. Uh, she's five and, you know, she's in kindergarten, but um, she's like, Dad, it's Lewis and Clark. And oh, look, it's Chicago. And uh, we were going through the little museum they have in the visitor center. And she was just all about it. And even went into the little theater they have to watch the video that they have of the of the journey. And oh, uh, I think great. it was showing the the Indian perspective of of the core stay in the Northwest and yeah, it was just cool to see how into it she was. And then they have rangers there and they have a, a junior ranger little pamphlet they give the kids and they fill it out and then they get their ranger badge and they, you know, hold their hand up and do the rangers, the ranger pledge. Um, so 
it's really neat. And anyone who has kids in in the Pacific Northwest area, or even if you're coming for a visit, definitely uh, recommend Fort Clatsop because they really make it cool for the kids too. That's great. Get them get them hooked on history at a young age. That's that's the way to do it. Yeah, we we were going through Fort Clatsop, and um, you know, my daughter was going through all the various rooms and and asking is this where is this where chicago way i would sleep so that was that was pretty cool and and then we went outside uh the water gate the the back gate and there was a was a guy just working on on the grounds and got chatted to him told him about the the podcast and he's like oh it's really cool it's really cool and um it's just cool to chat chat to someone who works there um about uh, the research we've done and the podcast episode we put together and uh yeah it was a cool experience it was especially cool for me because i had been there initially last year on my way down through oregon and in in the astoria area because that's where fort clatsop is it's around astoria kind of that area and you totally kept your visit to fort clatsop a secret from me until <laughs> you sent me pictures so i had no idea that you were even planning to go so that was very cool to hear. Oh my gosh, he actually went there. So yeah. we actually, so we we both have been to some of these places. So it wasn't just me. So I feel like that we're both representing part four in our own way. Yeah, it's cool to go to the actual places. And, you know, even though it's not, you know, the original fort, they, it's a recreation, but it's so cool to, you know, go through the forest and you you come out and then you see it. And you're like, oh, wow, it's, it's so cool. It, it looks just like, uh, you know, all the descriptions and, I'm gonna add a actually to the Instagram page. I'm gonna I'm gonna get around to it. I'm gonna add a a reel of the video I took of Clatsop, and I'm gonna kind of put that part from episode four in there of the description of it. And you can see, you know, the the fort had three rooms on one side, four on the other. The walls were sharpened to a point, and uh, it's just cool to see it in person uh, and a representative of it. Yeah, cool to uh, see in person, but probably not cool to stay for five months no. in the worst weather imaginable. Yeah, three three months. But yeah, they they definitely did not have a fun time there. Yeah, that was one part of episode four that I was really hoping that you would go crazy on the sound effects just to give you an idea of what the weather was like. And it, just, <laughs> yeah. it must it must have just been hell to be honest, because they they were constantly wet. It was raining constantly. I think they had only what was it twelve days of no twelve rain days without rain and only five months. Only six of those were sunny. I just can't. I can't even imagine that. I just. <laughs> well, I I I can imagine it because I live up here. <laughs> That's true. That is I know true. what the winter's like here. It's dark, wet. Staying damp. in that one place for five straight months. I just. Yeah. Oh man, there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got the authentic, authentic trip when we went to Clatsop because it was a terrible day. It rained, it poured the whole time. There were puddles everywhere. And I was like, probably oh, gave you a very good idea. This is what, what it was through. like. This is what it was like. Well, it's a bummer you didn't go to Cape Disappointment. I was really hoping you would have hit that spot because I, it, yeah, tell, I, that was, tell us about that. That was kind of my trifecta whenever I went through Astoria. So I, I saw the Seaside Monument. Or Clatsop and then Cape Disappointment, which is on the Washington side of the border. Because if you, for those that have never been to Astoria, it's kind of right on the border between Oregon and Washington in this big bay or Columbia Bay. And Cape Disappointment was where they went to, I, if I remember correctly, it's where they decided to, um, to spend the winter. 
if I remember right. And I, I could be wrong about that. It's been a while since we've done the research on it, but um, it was yeah, one they of ma- the- they made it up. They made it up into the, the estuary and they stayed on the Washington side. Yeah. And then they had the vote and the mm-hmm. vote was to decide where they're going to stay for the winter. And that's the, the other Which historic is- part of the episode yeah. where one they of have my one of my and... favorite parts yeah one of my favorite parts of the journey was that was the vote that they took yeah sakagawa and york are yeah. given a vote the uh, i thought uh, it was the, the ken burns documentary summarizes that moment really really well i love how he does it in the documentary yeah it was cool in the journey and in the journal entry of Clark when he refers to Sakagawea as Janie and kind of kind of showed that he really thought a lot of her that he had a had a nickname for her. yeah her and her son he had nicknames for yeah. both so nicknames were just as common then as they are now apparently and I thought it was very cool too really cool detail about how um they actually devoted time to building a separate room just for her and her husband and baby just for them I thought you did a really good job of highlighting why that was important and why that was significant. Yeah, yeah, and you can just imagine being the only woman in that camp for three months. They're really not doing a whole lot. There's not a lot of, you know, it wasn't like the Mandan stay. They weren't constantly hanging out with the natives, you know, getting to know various people in the tribe and um, seeing how they do things. There really wasn't that much interaction within those three months. There was some, but in comparison, there was hardly any. So they were very bored. They hadn't obviously been around a lot of women in the past year and a half, and she was really in a vulnerable spot. So I thought it was really cool that Lewis and Clark made sure that she was protected, that she had her own room, you know, with a separate door. It was closed off to everyone. And, um, you know, she had a baby and, and she needed to care for the child and needed that separate space to do so. So it was cool that even even though it obviously took more time to build and, and time to construct that they gave her her own room um, with, with Charbonneau. Yeah, I just thought that was a very a very interesting detail that is often overlooked when you l- look into Lewis and Clark. It really is something that's not brought up, but it is significant in its own way. Yeah. And it's also interesting, too, how, um, like you said, there it definitely wasn't like Fort Mandan where they were having constant daily interactions with the Indians. But, um, but yeah, they occasionally would fornicate with the Indian women. And it got to the point where I think even they, even Lewis and Clark said, you guys have to stop doing this. Researching it, there were, there is some uh, theories or indications that some of the men died as a result of syphilis that they contracted yeah. from all of that. So I'm sure, I'm sure. And I'm sure, I, I feel like that's one of the reasons why, and this is another thing that is absolutely amazing about the expedition, is that there's no real evidence that Lewis and Clark themselves ever engaged in sexual relations with the Indian women. And you sort of get the feeling that they had so many things to take care of that they were just way too busy for it. But you also get a sense that, you know, they're military men and they're fully aware of how the men would perceive them if they themselves also indulged. So you all, you really yeah. get that sense that that they they saw it more from the perspective of what will the men think of us if we start doing this too, you yeah. know, that you get a sense that they were trying another great example of their leadership is that you just get the sense that they're trying to hold themselves to a higher standard to try to motivate them. But they also recognize that the men need to blow off some steam, you know, <laughs> Yeah, much to their detriment because they ended up getting syphilis. So. <laughs> I think they recognized that how could they hold the man accountable to not overindulge in that if they were doing the same thing. So yeah, yeah. I, as you said, great leadership, great forethought of okay, we're eventually going to have to put an end to this and put a stop to it. So 
we can't be indulging ourselves. I mean, I think you, you even mentioned it too when we were writing the episodes as just that must have just been an overwhelming temptation. But then you look at the kind of yeah. men they were and you think, well, let's see, we're military officers. We have too many things to do to even think about this. And I don't want to get syphilis. So maybe it wasn't <laughs> maybe it wasn't that hard of a decision when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, maybe they actually thought about the consequences more than the other, than the other guys. Yeah. Did. So which virtue stands out to you or maybe series of virtues for this particular portion of the expedition? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say leadership because the winter in Fort Clatsop was a misery. I mean, it, it was just, and I said in the episode, it was really a prison. It wasn't a fort. It was a prison. They were stuck there with very little to do and very little to occupy them. You know, they, they even ran out of tobacco. For crying out loud. <laughs> and Absolute the, the, hell. Yeah. Uh, they didn't have any booze. They didn't have any alcohol. They didn't have any tobacco left. It ran out. They were using tree bark for tobacco, which must have been interesting. And uh, yeah, they didn't have a lot of interaction either. And they weren't allowed to have many Indians within the fort confines because of what the, the thievery that they experienced coming, coming down to Columbia. So it took a lot of leadership to keep the man together throughout the winter, throughout those three months. And uh, in a lot of the, the journal entries, even Clark sounds pretty, pretty melancholy of, of how things were going. Uh, there's one on the episode where he talks about a bad Christmas dinner. They had some bad, <laughs> bad boiled elk and some, some fish that had gone bad and, and some roots for dinner. And it was a, a bad Christmas dinner. And then Lewis being the, the better writer himself and, and better thinker, he goes way in depth with the emotions of being away from family during New Year's. And, and all, all he can think about is the New Year of 1807 when he's back in the company of his friends. So they were feeling it too. But the leadership that they showed to get the man and themselves through that, I think is, is really admirable. Okay, final episode, episode five, The Return Journey. Sounds like a sounds like a Lord of the Rings movie. Could be. Another one of the many things I thought was amazing about this part of the, uh, that the return journey itself, it was six months to the day from Fort Clatsop to when they got back to St. Louis, six months to the day. I mean, that, another one of those things, mind-blowing. Mind Not bad. When, and especially when you consider yeah. how many how many journeys they took that weren't really part of the, the journey they had to take back. They had so many offshoots yeah. and so many splitting splitting up the groups and exploring other areas that they just kind yeah. of on a whim decided, hey, let's go check out this area. And r that part of it, too. I feel like that part of the journey is just really kind of outside of my realm of understanding because uh, reading that i just think why would you do this <laughs> you know like they were I mean, explorers i mean yeah i feel like that's the only reason that they thought it would be justifiable is to s just see more and to map more and to explore regions that they couldn't on their way to the ocean you know but uh but still i just think man there's just no really good reason to do this you know especially especially since um lewis himself said that he wanted to engage with the Blackfeet nation, which was a really powerful <laughs> Indian nation. And they had a, they also had a pretty fearsome reputation. And I, I think they were at war with the Nez Perce. So, um, 
like just a huge risk, gigantic risk. And that that easily could have ended in one or both of them being dead by the end of it, you know. So and it's also the only or with when when they split up into two separate groups, like Clark goes his way, Lewis goes his way. And they they had a bit of a of a scuffle with some of the Indians when they were trying to take some of their horses and rifles and everything. And they ended up killing two of the Indians. In the entire expedition, that's the only incident of violence between the the core of Discovery and the Indian tribes in the entire expedition. That's the only time. Yeah. So, which is amazing in and of itself that in almost three years of being out there, that that was the only time. It's just amazing. Yeah. I was thinking about the return journey. And it's almost like it's it's almost like a mountaineer climbing Everest, and then on the way back down, they're like, you know what, we could go just straight back down to base camp, but why don't we go off here, offshoot here, and we'll cl- also climb that mountain. And then when we're done with that one, let's go try check out this one as well before we go back to base camp. It's like, how do you have the the mental energy and the physical energy to do stuff like that oh for sure well especially something like everest where you're half dead by the time you get to the top of the mountain so i just think (laughs) yeah i mean obviously they were not in in a position like that but still it just makes you wonder why they did it you know and i just feel like the exploration aspect is the only reason and also too because they were also on a mission of empire you know they're trying to recruit the indian tribes into the american empire in their own way so there's also that element as well but yeah Yeah, the whole the whole division i think was ultimately an ambitious failure and the fact that they both made it out alive is pretty impressive yeah they definitely didn't settle for what they'd already accomplished and also, too, I think one of the most interesting aspects of the return journey is the fact that Lewis seems to have changed into a totally different person by the time they head back. Yeah, you mentioned that. Like, in the episode. He just has he has this hot temper. He just can't handle the Indians stealing from him. He almost burns down a village because they took some <laughs> yeah. articles of clothing and they even took his dog for a time and he was ready to kill them all don't steal a man's dog whatever you do just yeah i mean but yeah and just totally out of character for lewis from the from the journey to the ocean and back it's like lewis turned into a totally different person on the way back and you get the sense that he's frustrated he's irritable he's ready to get home and he is not going to take no for an answer (laughs) and let anything get in his way and it led to some really big mistakes and things that thankfully didn't end in worse disaster but yeah he definitely seems to have lost his propensity for good judgment on the way back in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then he gets shot in the butt. Yeah. Which was golden opportunity for a joke, which of course I took advantage <laughs> of. <laughs> so what was your favorite quote of episode five? My favorite quote is whenever Jefferson replies to his letter after they've, after they've returned. So after they mm. get back to St. Louis, six months to the day, Lewis writes a letter to Jefferson just saying we've returned with the safe return of our party minus Charles Floyd, of course. And then Jefferson's reply, because very often in researching this expedition, you tend to forget about Jefferson a lot of the time because you're so focused on the men and their journey that you forget the man who authored the expedition in the first place. And then when they get back to St. Louis, you realize, oh, yeah, Jefferson, what about him? What's he been up to this whole time? You sort and his reply to Lewis's letter gives you an idea that he was probably in a lot of agony over over it because he had not received any word from them from when they were first with the Mandan the Mandan village 
And right. so this whole this whole time he can do nothing but worry and wonder for an incredible amount of time. So and he to, he thought he would probably hear from them when they were at the Pacific from you know the ships that were there. You know, maybe he would get some correspondence back, but he didn't. Yeah. So, I mean, what a terrible state of mind for Jefferson, just wondering every day, did they even make it? Because if they vanish, they vanish. There's no way anyone would ever know what would have happened to them. Because they're out there and they're out there. They're off the map. They, you know, so if, if that had happened, Jefferson would have never known. So you can just imagine the joy that he had when he realized, oh, my gosh, they made it. I, I, I mean, he must have just been beside himself. Washington, October 20th, 1806. I received, my dear sir, with unspeakable joy, your letter announcing the return of yourself, Captain Clark, and your party in good health to St. Louis. The unknown scenes in which you were engaged and the length of time without hearing of you had begun to be felt awfully. It almost sounds like that's a letter to from a father to a son. Yeah. Oh, for sure. There's definitely I, an, an element of that. And I, I think it's funny because your dad read that quote for the episode. Yeah, that's right. Another one of the unsung heroes of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Virtuous yeah, Men. I, it was kind of cool because you being away, I went over to your dad's place and that was kind of fun him reading those and me just sitting listening. And I, I really think he's the perfect character to have played Jefferson in this. Cause he just has the perfect voice for it. Oh yeah. I know my dad's got a good, a good reading voice, I think. Yeah. And what was especially interesting about that. And I, I never told you cause I just couldn't bring myself to is when you had that session of going over to my dad's house to record those lines, I had neglected to put some lines in there. <laughs> so I just thought, oh my gosh, how is this, how is Jamie going to have time to do this again? So I was just freaking out. And then, um, and then I had this idea, oh my gosh, my folks are coming to visit me really soon. So I'll just have my dad record ah. it when they come and visit me. Okay. So it was and some, some lines that he didn't read when I was over there that he did when he, when you guys were in what? Yeah. I don't, New Orleans? I think it was, I think all of, yeah, no, all of part five, all the stuff that my dad read was not <laughs> in the stuff that I initially sent you. Oh, that's great. So I love I mean, that I'm finding this out while we're recording Loose and Unscripted. Talk about serendipitous. Yeah. I, I was saving it for <laughs> Loose and Unscripted to let you know. Yeah. I failed big time and then I totally redeemed myself. Yeah. And of, of course, be remiss if I didn't mention the, the sad part in episode five, which is, of course, Lewis's apparent suicide yeah I thought you did a good job of of going through that scene and and what we know of what happened and obviously it, it is still kind of shrouded in mystery of did that did he actually commit suicide or, or was there something more sinister going back to, to Larry's book um the fate of the core he has a really cool chapter on Lewis's death and and all the oddities that are involved in it you know his his stay where he was what he was doing uh the people who were there kind of shady characters and it it does kind of leave you wondering what really did happen and i don't think we'll ever know sadly yeah i mean in in terms of the actual details i think yeah there's no way of knowing but knowing the kind of person that lewis was i mean suicide was an obvious 
candidate, you know, yeah. just given yeah. the kind of person he was. And the fact that um, if you look at Jefferson's and Clark's responses to his death, it's like they're not even shocked by it. It's almost like they were it's almost like they were just waiting for the day that it was going to happen. And and the fact that, the, I mean, they were the two men who knew him better than anyone. And you, there's just the sense that they were almost waiting for Lewis to do it at some point. And then the fact and then he does it and they're just thinking, well, it finally happened. So sad because such an incredible guy who had such a future if he would have been able to get things together. But he just was yeah. never able to do that after the expedition. I think he just missed. He missed the. I think this is another thing you did really well in episode five of speaking to how much Lewis missed just the camaraderie, the the brotherhood, the friendship that they enjoyed, and the adventure and the exploration of the journey. And then all of that was just gone, and he was left with this just this empty hole in his life that was then filled with just a bureaucracy of of the job that he was doing yeah absolutely and um i think uh ambrose did it he summarized that perfectly in his book undaunted courage where he described lewis as a wonderful leader but a terrible politician and you definitely get a sense of that where he was clearly put in a role that he was not equipped for like he was not a politician he was a military man and he was an explorer and a leader but he was not a politician so the fact that right. one of his rewards, and I don't know how much you could really blame this, quote unquote, on Jefferson for giving him the role of governor of the Louisiana Territory. <laughs> he, I imagine I when I see that, I, I just think to myself, wow, well, he probably thought that that was a huge honor and that Lewis would have loved it. And maybe he did initially, but then realizing that he's just not equipped for that role. If certain things had been different, that he would have had a successful life like Clark did. Yeah, it is interesting that obviously Lewis is the more educated and well-spoken of the two, but what Clark did with his opportunities that came his way after the expedition that he earned by leading the mm -hmm. expedition was certainly admirable of, with what he did with uh, you know his, his fame. He, he really did use it for his benefit. Sadly, Lewis didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think it's also pretty sad, too, that he never found a wife. I always thought that was a particularly sad thing about yeah. his story, because you sort of get a sense, too, in, in letters that he wrote to friends that he really expressed his desire for a wife. And it's hard to think of a more perfect candidate for husband material than Lewis, given the fact that he was a celebrity. He had power. He had influence. He had wealth. And yet no woman would marry him. And it's just, yeah, and, it's, and especially back then, I mean, those things, they're important now too, but back then, I mean, those things were, were golden. I mean, that's what a woman, that's what a woman would desire. And obviously back then in, in the, the upper classes, you know, likely one's wife would be somewhat chosen by, by the, by her family. You know, he, she would be placed in a scenario where that would likely happen, where the two would meet and yeah, it just never seemed to work out for him. Well, and, and given the fact that he's, you know, moving in the higher ups of, of American society. So he, it's not like there was a shortage of women around here, but uh, you know, it just, it's just really unfortunate. I felt, I, I, I think it's another one of those things where if he had found himself a wife, I think he probably would have made it past he would have had a long successful life if he had if he had found a wife so i just always thought that was a very tragic thing 
Yeah, I guess it's a, a lesson of what can happen to a great man when he doesn't have something pure and good to fight for. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, yeah, it was another one of those things where you look at his life after the expedition and I summarized it in the episode. It was a recipe for disaster yep. that he was he's he doesn't have a wife to share his new life with and to and to motivate him. He doesn't have the camaraderie that he had out there on the journey. He's in a role that he's not suited for. It was, and just given the kind of person that Lewis was, like, there's no way he was going to come out of that unscathed. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't the t- wasn't the type of guy who could sit behind a desk all day and and sign notices and orders and and that was his life. Yeah, no thanks. So, what was your your favorite part of the episode, episode five? I think my favorite part was probably. Um, detailing what happened to the men after the expedition because that's another one of those things where i'm always fascinated by that and especially because it's hard it's hardly really given a lot of detail because like i said anytime you talk about the lewis and clark expedition you tend to only hear about lewis and clark and maybe sacagawea you never hear Mm -hmm. about the men so hearing about what happened to the men after the expedition was very interesting. Like I would have, I would have, I was actually tempted to just write down every man in the expedition and what happened to him, but that would have, of course, bogged the whole thing down. But <laughs> episode uh, five would have been two hours long. Exactly right. I mean, and some men, there really isn't a lot of information about what happened to them. I mean, there's there's a few who had pretty prominent lives after the expedition, and then there's some that kind of just fade into history. But uh, it's just fascinating because. It's another one of those things where I think maybe we've experienced this at some point in our life where you have a solid group of people that you're really, really close to, and then you separate and you really, you either Mm -hmm. never get together again, or you never correspond again, but you just kind of go your separate ways. And that bond is broken forever. And I just, I know, I mean, I've had experiences like that, where I think leaving high school was a good example where I felt like. I lost a lot of those friendships and I, I kind of learned the hard way in my life that friendship very often doesn't last very long. Yeah. It's very rare to find a friend for life. And you sort of get a sense that, that it was like that for the Lewis and Clark expedition where, okay, we're, we've had this unbelievable journey. We're back to our lives and now we're just going to go our separate ways. So are, are you trying to tell me kinda, something here? Something kind of bit, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to let you know that this is our final <laughs> episode of Virtuous Men. That I'm never coming home. And final shout out to old Gassy. He lived to be what ninety nine. Yep, and he, That's he oh yeah, he had one of the more interesting post expedition lives. I think. Well, yeah, of he, all the men. he was the one who who published his journals first, right? Yeah, and one of the he's where we get the, the word the the where we get the term core of discovery from. Yeah, I think it was his journals where that was first discovered. So I, I'm not sure mm. if he actually thought of it, but that's just sure, where yeah. it was found. But um, and he, he and even at age 90, he had lost an eye. I think in the War of 1812, and even at age 90, without an eye, he volunteers to fight for the Union in the Civil War. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine? Like, I mean, the fact that he was even alive for the Civil War when he was part of the Lewis and Clark expedition and he was one of the oldest members, if I'm not mistaken, too, right? Yeah, he was one of the older members of the expedition. And I think when they started, he was only 33 at the time, if I remember right. So which I guess was 
gives you an idea of how young the guys were. Right. So what did you learn from the episode? I mean, we've kind of covered a lot of that, but is there something specific or a specific virtue? Yeah, just this whole notion of friendship and brotherhood and everything. I think that is really the greatest lesson, not just of this episode, but just the entire expedition in general is, I think it all goes back to that, is the relationships that these men had with one another, with what Lewis and Clark had with one another, and how that propelled them to even to lead the expedition the way that they did. And just the friendship and camaraderie, the brotherhood, all of that. I think those virtues of brotherhood and loyalty and friendship and relationship, I think all of that comes together to be the great lesson of the Lewis and Clark expedition. We can do great things on our on our own, but imagine what we could do if we were together. I feel like that's really and I feel like that is that really describes, I think, the American spirit in a lot of ways, because that's exactly what happened in the wake of the expedition is is groups of people doing things together to make this dream of America happen. Yeah, that's that's a good way to, to end this. I think uh, brotherhood and, and camaraderie, it's something that men need. They, they need, I think that's in a lot of ways why men need a challenge. They need something to to fight against, some adversity. And today's man, there, there really isn't a lot of that in a lot of our lives. Uh, but we, it, it sounds funny, but I think we need to find that, find something to fight for, something worth fighting for. And uh, a crew of, of brothers, that's what men need. And yeah, I think the core of discovery is it, it lives on even today, you know, over 200 years later because of the qualities that, that it has uh, for men to, to live up to. Before we end, I want to give a thank you to our interviewees. Larry Morris and Ellen Woodger. Uh, big thanks to them for the, the time they spent with us. Uh, we had lengthy, very lengthy interviews with them just because we had so many questions for the entire season. But uh, the interviews were really fun, just getting to know them and, and their, their passion for Lewis and Clark, uh, the books that they've read, the research they've done. Big thanks to them. Uh, Larry's books are... Uh, the Fate of the Corps, uh, talking about what happened to all the Corps members. And uh, also he wrote In the Wake of Lewis and Clark, uh, which gives a picture of kind of even more step, for step forward in time from the expedition and, and uh, Manifest Destiny and, and all of the, the migration westward. And then Ellen wrote Encyclopedia of the Lewis and Clark expedition which is a really cool read. You can, it's, it's not really a read from front to back, obviously. There's there's so much information in there. You can kind of go to a, a certain subject of the expedition. There's great maps in there. That was a cool resource for us. Um, so thank you for, for both of them, uh, for spending the time with us, uh, being part of the episode, and uh, wish them all the best. And then I want to say thanks to our, our voice actors for the season. Ethan Thomas for the voice of Meriwether Lewis, uh, his brother Jared Thomas for the voice of William Clark. We had uh, Scott, your voice acting talents for old uh, Patrick Gass. That's right. And uh, my wife Stacy for Watkowies in episode four. And of course, the one and only Larry Einig for the voice of Thomas Jefferson in one and five. Who did I forget? Anybody? Nope, you, get, you hit them all. Good stuff. Yeah, thanks to everyone for, for being part of the season. 
it was a lot of fun to to have so many different voices in this season and i think it really brought it brought the quotes alive that concludes part one of loose and unscripted we're gonna have part two coming here soon we're gonna interview the voices of lewis and clark ethan and jared thomas i'm gonna chat a little bit about their recordings of the quotes and just a little chat about uh, what we all think about the expedition specifically. I think the Brotherhood, we'll get into that a little more because they are, after all, our brother's creed. It kind of makes sense when you think about it. Yeah. And we want to say if if you enjoyed, if you've enjoyed season four, if you enjoyed the episodes, let us know. Uh, you can send us messages on the Instagram page. And above all, if you really liked listening to this stuff, uh, you can help us out by giving us uh, rating. You can rate, review, uh, send us a comment on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening. Uh, make sure you share with others you think would enjoy the season. That really helps us reach more people, which is really our goal right now. We're trying to reach more people with our content and, and uh, finding other people who enjoy these virtues and, and hearing about these incredible men. So go ahead and subscribe here's your chance we're waiting just do it you have no more excuses if you've been listening to us since season one it's season four just go ahead and subscribe just do it what if we said please please do it (laughs) wow nicest podcasters out there do it now All right, that's a wrap for part one of Loose and Unscripted. We will see you soon for part two. Cheers. Cheers. Boom. Go for it. Welcome to Loose and Unscripted, an inside look at season four of the Virtuous Man Spot. Spotcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing so well until like the fourth word. Oh, we had to go on.